Borak Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 11th episode of Space Spinner 2000, the podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering November 1977 and progs 37 through 40. How's it going this week, Fox? Uh, you were right. This this month was really awesome. Yeah, man. This is some like I'm having trouble like figuring out a bottom thrill. I'll tell you that right now. I'm thinking I might I might punt this week or something. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely going to be splitting hairs. And speaking of splitting hairs, everybody's hair in in every single issue uh, was fabulous. And I'm going to point out each and every one of them. Please, I'm ready to hear this uh, hair-based commentary. This is uh, this is some really like top-notch locks. All right, so let's get started. Thrill one, Inferno. So this is the sequel, to, you know, to Harlem Heroes and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's our three buddies, uh, Zach, Giant, and Slim, the surviving members of the Harlem Heroes, and now they're playing this game called Inferno, which involves. Not just jetpacks, but also motorcycles. I still don't get the rules, and I've read a couple of these. I'm trying to put it together from context. I definitely don't lay them out ahead of time. Um, but so, also, but, in this issue, two yeah. great hairstyles. <laughs> so I've managed to kind of put together two um, some of the Inferno rules, though. Mm-hmm. So there's three kinds of players, okay? There's, uh, there's motorcycle guys who have grappling hooks. Awesome. There's jetpack guys, like our buddies, the Harlem Heroes. Also cool. Yeah, and then there's, like, a goaltender guy, or, like, a, yeah. they call him, like, like, a caveman or something. I don't know. He's a Yeah, dude. and 200 times the size of a human being. Yeah, he's gigantic. He's got a big uh, club. <laughs> and he m- watches the goal, which they call the uh, cave, or, like, a score cave or something like that. So, we learned last week that... A motorcycle guy has to bounce the ball off a jetpack guy and then into the goal to score a point. And we also learned that jetpack guys have to be have their feet on the ground and then throw the ball into the into the cave to score. So goals are called cave-ins. They're worth uh, three points. Mm-hmm. And it's not clear if there's other ways to score because like the scoreboard counts both the number of cave-ins and the points totaled. But it seems like the number's always divisible by three, so... But the fact that they track <laughs> both of them makes me think that there's other ways to score, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I think they I think they did a couple of different scoring... Oh, no, I, maybe there's some There's some other stuff later in the progs, but this is what we know sort so of far. going into Prog 37, is what I, or, you know, in, through the course of Prog 37, is what I'm trying right. to say. Yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> While things were going slow early, our buddies, the heroes, managed to figure out the rules and their usual combo of speed and cleverness sees their team, the Washington Wolves, win the match against the Baltimore Bullets 9-3 to three, or 3 cavens to 1. So it's good times. Yeah, they're, uh, they're doing really well for themselves and finally getting it because they're getting that kind of... Uh spunky like attitude to playing around instead of getting like serious mm-hmm. as this happens though they're being watched by two um no good nicks <laughs> or like <laughs> I, that's the best way to put it yeah 
obvious evil dudes, uh, Mr. Chubb and his henchman, Mr. Torso. Which really, I would just call him Mr. Face. He's got... Mr. Torso has like... He's like a robot. He's got kind of a robot-looking body. He's got a robot head, but the robot head has like a high-chop fade, basically. And then there's... There's sort of a hole in the middle of his robot face, or of his robot head, where his possibly human face is hanging out. I, he looks weird. <laughs> it's definitely future bad guy look. Yeah, I think he wears but, it well, much like that hairdo, which is number two. The first, oh, of course, yeah. being the announcer guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the announcer guy's got kind of a wild, uh, wild set of locks, and then, yeah, Torso's got his metal high-top face. But... <laughs> It's really great. But so uh, Chubb and Torso decide that now, because the heroes won so handily, everybody's going to want to be betting on the heroes in upcoming Inferno matches. So it's time to get them to start losing matches so they can win out on the betting and stuff. Those dastards. <laughs> they're, uh, they're no good doers. Yeah. No good Knicks. I stand by it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... Next prog, the heroes practice some sweet moves, but Charlie Vance, the mustachioed owner of the wolves, gets, like, blackmailed and threatened into losing the next match, or mm-hmm. else uh, their match against the uh, Rockville Rockets. So Charlie, des- Charlie decides to do, to do this by uh, making everybody on the team take poisoned salt gum, which... <laughs> which- Apparently, everybody who plays Inferno choose to re- to replace the sweat in their bodies that they sweat out during the, the course salt of the Inferno specifically, match. Yeah, which is I it, thought weird. It's specifically salt gum. Salt gum is not a thing. I look like it's not like I thought. Maybe salt gum would be like an English thing, like <laughs> like because I when I was a kid, they had like Gatorade gum that was supposed to be just like Gatorade, but you chewed it instead of drank it from a, like like a uh, you know from. The plastic mm. cups or whatever. So that maybe that's what they were calling it, some sort of Gatorade-based gum thing. But no, man, I look, I put salt gum into Google, and <laughs> all I get are like, are like things that are like for salt production or something like that. Yeah, I um, their reasoning was you need to replenish the salt in your body, and maybe this is like something lost to time where it's like, ah, you need salt yeah. to perform. Sodium's really good for you. Something. All salt gum gets you on Google is, like, stuff about rinsing your mouth out with salt, because it's, like, gums (laughs) and salt. Like, the first hit is, like, the gum disease conspiracy part two. Like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 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 God. Send me that later, please. (laughs) Will do. Um, But anyhow, luckily... uh, And Charlie Vance, great haircut. He's got a solid, like, sort of... I don't know. His hair is really long and it's sort of folded around his head really weird. Yeah. Like he's got, got loose um, sideburns and stuff. I mostly know notice it because of his sweet mustache. That's my, uh, that's my as favorite part. part. Of, as part of the do. Oh, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> so the whole the Washington Wolves have been given uh, poison salt gum, except for the hero, the Harlem heroes, who for <laughs> old time's sakes are chewing their Harlem heroes branded gum. How what fortune. There's a lot of gum stuff going on. Anyhow, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Anyhow, uh, the gum is full of, hallucin- of h- hallucinogenics. Which is and every- amazing. Everybody starts just 
the whole Washington Wolves team just starts tripping balls all over the <laughs> arena, essentially. And I love whoever did the art for all of it. Like, the melting bike was amazing. Yeah, oh, I forgot to do the um, do the credits. So all of the uh, comics, all the, all the Inferno stuff's written by Tom Tully, and the art's by Massimo Bel, uh, Bellandrelli. And he does crazy, like, art stuff. And especially, yeah, like, the bikes start turning into crazy monsters they're all bent around and fluid and stuff everybody starts turning into everybody starts turning into monsters dude it's, it's ridiculous man i am totally buying some of this guy's art yeah. He, yeah i mean just like this stuff's great like you should just if you get the chance to just pick this up and look at prog 38 this is really awesome stuff that he does well i'm gonna start yeah i'm opening i'm starting the social media for the site so i'm gonna try to post some of this stuff like on on various um, Facebooks and Instagrams and so forth, so you can be able to check awesome. it out that way. Sweet, but yeah, Bellandrelli is one of the uh, is a is a classic like 2080 artist. He's going to be taking us through maybe the first 400 progs or so. He says a bunch of crazy stuff, and this is a real. <laughs> All these dudes tripping out on <laughs> uh, salt gum is really a great example of it. It gets nuts. Um, yeah, so the. the uh, it, in the oh, next yeah. prog, all the wolves are going crazy, and it's all the he- all the Harlem heroes can do to basically just keep their team members from killing themselves <laughs> and trying to win the game, which is not going well. No, they can't win the game. Um, at the end of the prog, the Rockets win with four cabins and nineteen points, mm-hmm. which oh, at halftime, right? No, that's a oh no no uh, sorry yeah that's at halftime or, or when they pause. But basically, um, yeah, two zero. It's uh, yeah, four cavings, nineteen points to zero. Um, apparently, they have more than tw- like normally cavings are three points, but they have nineteen. So there's a what a seven point score differential. Yes, apparently, like if you score if you score an own goal, it's you, you get six points. Oh, so that's right. If you if they scored two own goals, then it'd be eighteen. So there's another point. They got in there. I don't. I don't know where it came from. Uh, whatever. They're losing by 19 points in four cavens. But I'm not sure if cavens actually. If you need to beat the number of cavens to score, I'm not. I'm not sure how it works. All right? Or if they take away points. I don't know why it says the Rockets have minus four cavens and 19 points when they've been scoring the cavens. I don't. Look, all I have to say is if a golden snitch starts flying around the court, I'm going to get really upset. Something. Anyhow, <laughs> as this happens, so if it, at this point the heroes are like, hey, like I can't help but notice that we drink, well, we are chewing our Harlem Heroes gum, and everybody else is chewing this gum that Charlie Vance is pushing on everybody. Like as, <laughs> as, um, as substitutes come out, he's like, hey, everybody, get your gum and get out there. <laughs> this seems suspicious. Yeah, just pushing his gum agenda. Yeah. So as they're sort of figuring this out, Vance uh, makes his way into the hero's locker room and hides five thousand dollars cash in the lockers of all three oh, heroes. Oh, dang. In an effort to make them look crooked. Also, uh, just quick mention: the guy with the wolves uh, headband. Uh, like that guy's hair pretty much tops this episode. He's got a very headband hair is pretty solid actually. This guy's going <laughs> crazy with his headband hair. Honorable mention to um, who was the team leader of uh, of the wolves. 
He was the dude with the really terrible bowl cut. Let's just put it that oh, way. Oh, yeah. Okay. That sounds right. Honorable mention for rocking it, but it looks bad even in the super future. <laughs> Sorry, man. So, this is judgment. Fair enough. So, finally, <laughs> um, all the all the, all the the wolves are going nuts. They can't handle it. Everybody's <laughs> injured and out and crazy from hallucinogenic show. There's a big guy rampaging through the stadium, smashing people. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, um, yeah, he's gripped by Infernomania, running wild through the crowd. So, at this point, only the heroes are left standing in the for the Washington Wolves, which means they'll have to concede the game. The Rockets win. It's the first time we've seen the Harlem Heroes lose uh, yeah. in the course of this comic. So they show up, and they're... They show up like at the uh, in the locker room and they're like, "Hey man, this gum! Like, what's going on? We got to analyze it, <laughs> right? We accused by a gum." And Vance is like, "No way, man! You'll never take me alive!" He runs out. This escalates she, quickly. Yeah, he uh, he uh, pulls out a gun and like threatens the heroes and runs away. The heroes <laughs> chase him on jetpacks. He makes it to the uh, to the helicopter of the Washington Wolves. He gets inside, hits the ignition button, and then there's apparently a car bomb inside the uh, vehicle, and it explodes. And, like I said, gets really intense. Yeah. Looks like the salt gum wasn't the only thing sabotaged around here. (laughs) No. And, hey, what's this? The cops investigate, and the heroes have five grand in their bags? That means they were in on it! Oh, snap. And Even that's they the, put their lives in danger and have always done, like, the nice guy thing. We definitely... These guys are bad. Absolutely. Hey, man, I'm not going to tell you about uh, how things work in future justice. That's uh, true. <laughs> we're not the law. But that's how the Harlem Heroes ends for this month. And <laughs> then uh, final hair award goes to, of course, the Heroes for really rocking that style, man. Loving it. I mean, also, John... Giant Clay. We get his full name. Oh, yeah. Nice. Which I really... I appreciated that. Like, uh, they're really, like, starting to characterize the rest of them. They're not just calling them, like, by their short names anymore. They'll always sort of reference their full name at some point. Yeah. It's good to sort of get a sense of... Especially now that we're down to basically just three characters that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, to give us a, more of a sense of who, like, Giant Zack and Slim really are, you know? Yeah, and I think, like... I don't know. The team's rounding out pretty well. I, I guess they're all kind of the same character. You know, one's just a hothead once in a while when it yeah. when it's uh, sort of contextually necessary. But for the most part, like, just a really solid team. Um, we made some jokes, obviously, about Inferno's rules being completely impenetrable. Um, I remember early on in, in Harlem Heroes, they um, the original, they... Mm-hmm actually talked about what the rules were and kind of guided you through. Yeah. And it felt really well thought out, even though yeah. like boring on the surface, the action really kept things going. And this one it's like just action and kind of fill in the gaps later, which Yeah. Like the the weird. first epi- the first Prague of Harlem Hero or like, you know, two thousand eighty number one, I think they actually did like a thing of like, here's a diagram of the stadium, here's where mm-hmm. all the stuff is and stuff. They have not done that in Inferno. Instead they're just no. kinda like, yeah, it's got motorcycles, there's cave ins get going <laughs> and don't get me wrong like all of these things are awesome and there are plenty of explosions it's action that you really like out of the kind of harlem heroes um storyline 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I just really wish I understood this game a little bit because, weirdly enough, you get kind of attached to what's going on in the middle of the game. Yeah, yeah. So. It just it's, it gets weird when it's just sort of you, you don't know what the what the rules are. You don't know what the laws of the game are. Yeah, so it's like ah, uh, they're losing now because, yeah. it, and it just feels like because story, if that makes sense. For sure. Hey, speaking of laws of the game, Thrill Two, Judge Dread. That was perfect. Do my best. <laughs> so all the Judge Dreads uh, this month are written by John Wagner. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, art, you know, Grandmaster script, uh, uh, script, script robot. When it comes to Judge Dread, and then we start with the conclu- with the conclusion of the Trogi story, drawn by uh, Mike McMahon and lettered by Tony Jacob. Um, so yeah, so they're, they're these Trogies. They're they live underground. They've taken Judge Dredd and a bunch of regular humans uh, hostage. They're super gross looking, except for one who's got a really great head of hair. <laughs> that guy's still gross looking. <laughs> slick slick Willie, which, by the way, if I could ever obtain the title of Prime Cat, I'd be pretty happy. Nice. Yeah, he's the leader. Prime Cat. <laughs> so Judge Dredd does the uh, standard thing when you're, hot, when, you're, when you're being held prisoner where you start to fight with somebody. And then uses that fight as an ex- as a way to get free, basically. To say, tried and true methods, man. Yeah. So, uh, Dredd gets free. He calls Central and gets a train started back up. He drives the train to Grand Central Station where the Trogis are preparing to uh, set off their bomb that will destroy the surface world of Mega City 1. As he arrives, he turns on all the lights in the interior of the train, which blinds the Trogis. <laughs> and once blinded... Uh, Dread manages to recover the detonator and stop the bombs from going off. Really nice two-parter for Judge Dread. Yeah, and then, you know, with the bomb diverted, all the trucks are arrested and taken <laughs> to jail, I guess. Somewhere. <laughs> oh yeah, it doesn't really say anything. They're sort of marched off by the, uh, by the J- Justice Department cleanup crew. Fair enough. Plutonium mines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so next up, uh, in a story drawn by Ian Gibson and lettered by Tony Jacob, a kid is put to bed and is told to be good or Judge Dredd will get him. And then Judge Dredd does get the kid. <laughs> Definitely unscrews his head. He barges in and says, where's Billy Jones? And rips the kid's head off. Oh, he's a spy droid. Oh, God. Not not my child. Also, what is it with people saying that Judge Dredd is going to get him? Well, he's scary, man. It takes everybody down. He doesn't care. He's the I law. You better believe it. <laughs> He's just a scary Batman, dude. You know you're gonna get you're gonna start singing the Megadeth song again. I'm I'm ready to do it. You know. Oh man. <laughs> Fear the badge. He earned it with his blood. Anyhow, um, yeah. So it turns out that there's this uh, rich mogul guy who's been kidnapping the children of all the other rich mogul guys and replacing them with espionage droids. Um, he keeps the kids strapped to the wall in his boardroom at his corporate it's, headquarters. Which, what the, f- like, what the fuck? Like, he you can't just keep them in cells or something? They've got to be around you? No, they got to be strapped to the walls and fed by scary droids. <laughs> it's a really, it's a really disturbing scene. And they even complain, like, God, it's, these children won't shut up. And it's like, well, you know. He must enjoy the sound, the sounds of screaming children, I guess. 
Anyhow, uh, Dredd and a couple other judges uh, raid the place, come down to the skylight and shoot everybody and stuff. Uh, the main mobile guy jumps, uh, escapes and tries to jump off the building with a kid in tow. He, they almost all die, but then uh, Judge Giant grabs the kid at the last minute, saving him, which is nice. Yeah, he's got the reflexes of his, uh, of his dad. Yeah, and we end on um, a news report and parents warning the kids once again to uh, be good or Judge Dredd will get them. I like to think that that means that he's about to barge in and rip off that kid's head. One can only hope. This kid looks like a rotter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we move on um, where John Wagner, Mike McMahon, and Tony Jacob bring us the ape gang. <laughs> really not that threatening looking. They just look adorable. They look like a bunch of apes in uh, pinstripe suits. <laughs> so, so Fox. <laughs> so Conrad. So apparently there was a, ho- a great holocaust before the mega city came to be. Which uh, I like. There was a lot of of world building in this. Yeah, we uh, hadn't heard about this before. No. But apparently after this holocaust, only zoo animals survived. <laughs> and as time passed, it became possible to alter the brain cells of apes and give them the ability to speak. This is just me, me reading directly out of the frog. But yes. so, apparently chimpanzees are now as smart as humans and have been integrated into society as uh, regular people, I guess. Y- yep. This, this is so far so true. But they're really disorganized and filthy and live kind of in a settlement called the jungle. And <laughs> Man, I'm just really hoping this isn't some kind of weird uh, yeah. social commentary or something like that. I'm going to leave it, because I don't think it is. But, man, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, mm. Like, uh, Judge Dredd rolls through and he says, Run-down houses, garbage everywhere, apes have filthy habits. Nothing will ever clean up the jungle, but cleaning up these hoodlums will make the place smell, smell a lot sweeter. Yeah, I mean, you are you did make the point that like sometimes he's used as like a, a vocal piece about like you not necessarily liking the guy. Yeah, but so anyhow, Judge Dredd manages to uh, convince the mother of one of the crime lord guys to uh, flip on her kid. And that was great. They take down both um, the monkey mobsters and the gang that was horning in on their turf. Uh, Dread and everybody takes everybody down, and eventually the monkeys are put behind, the apes are put behind bars as a bunch of gangster apes are now a exhibit at the Mega City Zoo. Which seems like, I mean, I guess pretty demeaning, but also the laws of Mega City 1 seem pretty flexible with punishment, so. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of up to the judge or something. <laughs> Which, you know, if it's, I mean, that's comical. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Finally, in a story drawn by Bill Ward, it's the Mega City 5000. Oh, man. Biker gangs from across the Mega City, there's 5,000 of them, hence the, hence the, uh, the number, mm-hmm. are racing down the eastern seaboard of the Mega City 1. The only rule, Fox? What's that? There are no rules. Oh! <laughs> oh! Yeah. The judges create a roadblock to try to uh, stop them. But the all the biker gangs team up and take the judges down. Um, speaking of some of these bikers, the uh-huh. best hair award for Judge Dredd uh, goes to the lead biker, the Spacer. <laughs> Is that the one with the helmet with the spike? No, it's the one with the long hair flowing oh, yeah. in the breeze as he's up with the guy in the World War One uh, 
spiked German helmet to like smash a judge into a pole, <laughs> which was pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we end with the bikers breaking through the roadblock and going back to not being teamed up anymore. The law, yeah, the, the law men are just are taken down, and the bikers continue their race. Who can stop them? Judge Dredd, presumably. Next next week. <laughs> It'll be pretty great. I imagine there's going to be a lot of explosions and death. Man, one can one can only only dream that that's the case. <laughs> so, so I guess uh, like pretty standard fare for Judge Dredd. Yeah, there's some good stuff in here. I mean, you know, <clears throat> some good robot stuff. You know, there there aren't a lot of connected stories, but like no. Ape Gang is pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea of a Mega City Five Thousand and having a big race that, like, you know, now just Jed has to do oh, a bunch yeah. of stuff on on the bike. Like, anytime he uses the bike, that that's pretty fun. Um, well, I remember you mentioning to me um, before that, like, the city is much more of a character than the other characters you sort of <clears throat> like work with. Oh yeah, I mean, and what Mega I C- what I like about each of these is that, like, even in the child napping one, you get a sense of like that there is this. Um, kind of like chairman of like these like large industries that yeah. there's that there's more going on and you're it's kind of opening up slowly. Yeah, I mean, Mega City One's definitely in a, a very like important character mm-hmm. in 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 Judge Dredd. You know, it's yeah. something you have to keep an eye out for and sort of you know keep an eye on this city that's sort of slowly being developed as we see things. You know, yeah, it's really like I liked how each was very separated from each other. I know, like, we talk about continuity a lot in terms of, like, this... Or rather, maybe I do, but, like... No, we both do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, uh, I think, like, with this, there is a continuity in it. It's just not this storyline that you're always following, like you would with, say, like, Harlem Heroes or... Yeah, or Echo. for um, sure. But, like, you're still getting the same amount of growth. They still, like... When things start to just about maybe be stale for like that next frog, there's always something interesting, like meeting Judge Giant, um, and then you you get some like little pockmarked stuff until this bigger thing happens, which is this death race, right? Yeah, and that's that's what's exciting about it to me is that like you get a pop, and then it's some exploration, and then you get another pop. For sure. Yeah. Hey, speaking of pops, <laughs> thrill three invasion. So All of Invasion this month's written by uh, Gary Finley Day and sort of alternates between being drawn by uh, Char- Carlos Pino and Mike Dory. Both who do a great job on the prince's hair, by the way. A-class work. Ah, uh, the prince. So here's the deal, Fox. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we start with, uh, with uh, Savage and Silk's rebels receiving arms and resupply via a English submarine. As uh, Savage and Silk toast in the uh, in the conning tower of the submarine with the uh, submarine captain, Savage notices someone coming out of a portal that shouldn't be there. <gasps> so she jumps down and grabs the guy, and oh man, it's Prince John of England, the he, the definite child that exists. I mean, you know, <laughs> they did they did as good a job as they could with a Prince Charles who's currently unmarried. And without any children at the time of this comic book being written, you know? Um, yeah, I'm not saying that my illusion of uh, 
of you know 2000 AD being created by uh, you know these sort of hyper intelligent alien overlords has come into question. I'm, I'm simply just, stating that there's some continuity errors. I'm just saying that uh, Prince John has way more hair circa 1999 than Prince William did. Zing! Boom. Oh, that was... <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's right. Come at me, Royals. <laughs> oh, that's great. Anyhow, with uh, the Prince... So Savage grabs the prince, and they're like freaking out. You guys got in like you guys have to get this prince back to Canada. This is the the juiciest target the voles could ever want. Mm. But as this is happening, this the uh, submarine is attacked by a Volga jet. Oh no! <gasps> the jet uses their um, TV sensors. I don't know. There's something. <laughs> they got a TV screen on there, and it's able to zoom in and see. One of the people on the submarine lifeboats is Prince John. They they do regular scans of lifeboats so that they can see their victims before they murder them. It brings them greater pleasure. Volts mm-hmm. are evil. So anyhow, uh, the guys on the on the wreck of the submarine shoot down the sh- shoot down the plane. The plane crashes into the submarine. The only survivors are Savage, Silk, and the Prince. Luckily, because that way we'd have just enough characters. Yeah, but as the Vogue. Boat starts to close in on them. They gotta go. They're on the run with the prince. Oh snap! What are they yeah. gonna do, man? The Volgans recover the jet's black box and see that the prince is here in England and now on the run. <laughs> they start to uh, broadcast it, and now Savage has to deal with old Sunbeam here. We've landed ourselves the biggest load of bother since the invasion began, <laughs> dude. He, uh, yeah, he gives some real, real nice back chat to this, uh, to this princely character. It's good, man. So next up, the Volgons are hot on the heels of the prince. They deploy their spider troopers, who are these guys who basically uh, hang from the bottoms of helicopters by ropes and just sort of fly around that way. Oh my and God. they're just sort of flying over the Scots countryside <laughs> looking, looking for signs weird. of the prince. Looking real weird. Yeah. At the resistance base, a no-good traitor identifies the prince and turns him into the Volgs. Which, by the way, he looks like a no-good traitor from all the no-good traitors I've ever seen. And I feel like, you know, I'm His... not saying that you should just judge a dude by how he looks, but he could definitely work really hard to look more reliable. This guy's coat and uh, like paddy cap are the same plaid <laughs> color, which is not a good sign. No. He tries to steal the prince's ring, and Savage, sleeping, just pulls a shotgun out of his sleeping bag. <laughs> apparently sh- awesome. Savage sleeps with a shotgun ready. <laughs> but Always. The, uh, the, the no-good trader, or NGT, as I've written him down in my notes, uh, <laughs> sees the royal, the royal signet on the prince's ring finger, and is like, oh, that's the prince! So, he turns him into the Volgans, and the Volgans come flying in to attack our guys. The coolest thing in the world happens. So, the Resistance guys are like, Savage, Silk, and the prince, you guys run, we'll cover your escape. So, Harry, remember how, like, uh, two or three weeks ago, (laughs) or no, last week, I guess, there were those, um, there were those resistance guys and like some of them were woodcutter guys and some of them were oil man guys oh yeah so they're still here being 
awesome. <laughs> we got these helicopter troops. These troops <laughs> hanging from ropes on the bottom of helicopters. <laughs> Here's what our guys do. <laughs> First, the woodsman guys throw a hail of axes. A hail of, of thrown axes. At the at the guys suspended by ropes, cutting their ropes, and the guys falling to their deaths as people shoot them as they fall. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It is so awesome. There's just this one picture of these guys and making throwing motions and like twenty axes flying into the air. It's really great, and just guys on ropes getting hit with axes. Yeah. Um, but that's not all. Well, right? then the oil guys get out their Molotov cocktails. And just throw them straight at these helicopters, set them on fire. They shout like, "Aye!" What What I find particularly great is that they have like a a kerosene canister like right next to them, and it just says North Sea Oil. This ain't yeah. no Volgan oil. This came from the North Sea. Damn it! Well, listen, <laughs> these two guys, these two sets of guys. You know, one oh. guys are woods guys, and they got to use wood like wood cutting based attacks. <laughs> The other guys are oil guys. They gotta use oil-based attacks, you know? Exactly. It's, it's Pokemon. That's how it goes, basically. I was gonna say we're operating G.I. Joe rules. If he's in a parka and snow outfit and has skis and walks around with, um, you know, those those ski sticks everywhere. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. He's probably a guy who's only <laughs> useful in the snow. I'm just trying to imply that a couple of these guys are Ash-type Pokemon, which is pretty funny. <laughs> Anyhow, the helicopter with um with the with the NGT in it crashes, and as he lays dying, the no good trader asks the prince, "Like, could you give me the royal pardon, sir?" And as as he does, as this guy asks with his dying breath to be pardoned for his misdeeds, Savage shoots him right in the back and kills him. Because he's a dog. He he flips over this guy's corpse, his eyes still open because he's dead. And it turns out he's got a knife in his hand and a roll of Volgon cash in his pocket because he's a no-good traitor. And uh, the prince's na- naivete is going to get us all killed. That's a stone-cold fact. I mean, look, Bill Savage will risk his neck up until a certain point. He's got Volgs to kill. I don't know, man. Yeah. Well, Anyway, I'm going to save my, my tree ties on the prince later. <laughs> so, next up, Savage, Silk, and the prince are basically are on the run. That's how they're going to be for a while. They stop, yeah, they stop at a boarding house, and they're instantly recognized by the old ladies there. Mm-hmm. By like, the way, special mention, their haircuts are the most fabulous for this prog. Uh, they're just lovely ladies. Lovely old ladies with their uh, mm-hmm. commemorative... Uh, jubil- jubilee plate with, with their secret store of jubilee plates from his from the prince's grandmother's reign. Again, not recognizing that in fact Queen Elizabeth would still be ruling in twenty in uh, in, in, in 1999, and in fact to this very day. <laughs> As they're doing this, a bunch of volks come in. They're being billeted in the um, inside the same boarding house that Savage and Silk and the Prince tried to go to because there's no Third Amendment in uh, England. That's right. Shots fired again. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to my Third Amendment heads, buddy. You can't billet troops here. That's That's against the Constitution. Anyhow, anyhow, uh, the Volgans are big jerks, and eventually they realize 
that it's the Prince and Savage, and so they make a call to Volgon Command before the uh, rebels have a chance to um, take them out, hitting them upside the head with the bison t- with the uh, with the jubilee plates and so forth and so on. Which is definitely what happened and how they got away. Yeah. So, but also the grandmas were like, "Get out of here! We'll take the heat." Yeah. So as our as our boys make the make their escape, the old ladies are taken away by Volgon uh, police. Which totally and, sucks. Yeah, Sam is like, we got to keep going. And the prince is like, oh, he's going to leave those ladies behind to get arrested and executed and stuff? Like, you're a heartless savage. And Savage's like, oh, I do what all I have to. So he... Pretty much. So at this point, the, uh, the three of them put on disguises. Yep. They dress up like old ladies with umbrellas and stuff. They walk up to a Vogue... Um, checkpoint and just blast the hell out of them, killing them all. As they make their escape in a Vogue Jeep, the prince puts it together. Oh, since we dressed up like old ladies to take out that roadblock, now the Vogons will just assume that those old ladies are probably us and let the old ladies, and, or that the old ladies that were reported were us. And they'll let those arrested old ladies go. You're an old softy after all, aren't you, Savage? And Savage is like, um, let's get out of these, uh, out of these old lady dresses, because Bill Savage ain't gonna be your lady in waiting. <laughs> Which, you know, all right, man. It's all right. You don't have to have feelings. Yeah, but whatever. for the most part, I want to imagine that he was just gonna say, "No, I just put dress up like a lady and shoot some volks." <laughs> so, our final, uh, our final story: the, uh, the British military in exile sends a message like. Via, but by, by a coded radio broadcast to tell Savage, Silk, and the Prince to get to like a landing point. They're going to do a diversion on one side of England and then send a destroyer in to snatch the Prince and get him out of there. Unfortunately, this plan didn't take into account a um, Volgon scout plane being in the air at the same time. The plane blows up the destroyer coming to save the Prince. The destroyer blows up the plane at the same time. <laughs> the crew piloting the plane hits their ejector seats and falls to and slowly falls to earth. Bill Savage is not <laughs> pleased by this and quickly just remedies starts, with shotgun. <laughs> just starts shotgunning up in the sky, <laughs> looking up with insane eyes as. <laughs> He just shotguns the hell out of all ten, out of all ten dudes. You got to imagine that oh, it's like, one with each shot. That's like a dream for him. It's like it's raining Volgs, and they're just sitting there, and he can just shoot them with his shotgun. Exactly. Um, but then the prince tells him, "Oh no! Like those those planes have a crew of eleven. And so Savage just to pull out the uh, one of the dead Volgons guns and shoot the last remaining Volg right in the face with. <laughs> a Volgon pistol. <laughs> Which, yeah, it'll do. Anyhow, this whole time, uh, they've been sort of making fun of the British military using all these acronyms and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he sent, so Savage sends them a message that says WTSS for saving the prince, which is wait till Savage says. Like a badass. Yep, yep, yep. Whew! Well, um... Man, oh man, do I love Invasion. <laughs> it's good, man. This is, um, we've had so many sort of episodic or one-part Invasion stories 
that now getting to this point where it's a this big link story, and 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 I believe we're actually just going to be in one continuous story until the end of Invasion in a couple more months. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole Prince thing, it's a really interesting take on sort of these guys moving around, like being on the run and stuff. They've been co- they've been fairly comfortable um, recently, but now they're like, we got to keep going. We can't. We, we can't stay still because we can't trust people to keep us safe because you have the prince who's such a high value target, you know? Yeah, and I think um, he makes for a better foil than Silk, if that makes sense. Like, he's mm. got something to bounce ideas off of, and, you know, they're sometimes true, not always true ideas. They're, they're more likely than not like get them in pickles more than anything else, but <laughs> um, you also get, like, a little bit more character out of, you know, Savage, other than just being this um, sort of ruthless dude, because uh, they yeah. kind of turned up the ruthlessness for this one, um, which I think was to kind of show off like this prince as this sort of less ruthless figure, much less obviously, and Silk, who just doesn't say or do anything, he just acts on Bill Savage's whim and, and is sort of his military man. So I, I yeah. think it's really working. Yeah, I think it's a good it's, it's a good set of yeah. Silk is more just sort of like an encyclopedia, or someone who can sort of drive the you know. As giving a reason why Savage, like why they'd be able to drive a tank or something like that. Like, oh yeah, Silk was trained in that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just in general, like, um, not as many Volgons killed as I think we're sort of used to. I mean, unless, I mean, that's, that's, that is, that is false. I mean, okay. They killed, they killed, they killed all those dudes hanging from helicopters with thrown (laughs) axes. Savage killed 11, <laughs> 11 dudes as they fell from Earth on parachutes. All right, they dressed up like old ladies and killed like ten dudes at that at that roadblock thing <laughs> while dressed like old ladies. This is there's a lot of dead Volgons in these in the page, in these pages. You know what I mean? Oh, like I'm sorry. The, I must I must have been reading the summer special or the. Uh... The the lease was the first one, and even then, it had a jet crashing into a submarine, <laughs> and there being huge explosions. Like we're getting we're getting deaths. That's a fact. I'm not <laughs> saying that this had some of the best uh, murders this comic, but I'm definitely saying that for this entire month, they definitely had the best murder. I mean, I'm not. You know, I don't think it's the best. It's not the best that invade. It's not the best deaths we've seen in invasion. All right, nothing. Nothing's going to be backing a, 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 a semi truck full of deadly acid into a building and then filling that building full of deadly acid. All right, <laughs> nothing's going to be. Still, nothing's going to be having. Yeah, nothing's going to be having a road layer and then killing guys with it as their feet are stuck in red hot tar and then you just tar them into the roadway. Like these my, are my favorite is still shit there's a helicopter i shoot it oh crap there's another helicopter oh don't worry that helicopter crashed into another helicopter yeah listen these might not be the most iconic um invasion deaths you know he's not no no rubber duckies were involved but it's still (laughs) these are still good I, I may be good invasion murders. Asked to pull pull the teeth out a bit, but let me tell you, uh, I I really just I loved uh, the hatchet slash petrol murder that happened. Yeah, that remains real good. So so good. <laughs> <laughs> just like oh, 
I understand why there are spider troops now, not just because maybe that's kind of a cool kid's toy idea, but also because it makes them really easy, apparently, to hit with wood-cutting axes. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Let's go to non-thrill material. This is covers and letter pages and stuff like that. We can do these real quick. Awesome. So, Prog 37. Uh, humans show up at an alien planet. Big aliens grab all the humans and put them in specimen jars. Oh, humans are the real plague. Oh, no. Oh, man. Also, there's a letter from some guy pretending to be a judge from the future and, like, warning Tharg about something. Whatever, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Prog 38. Hey, that's not a naturally occurring life-size, lifelike sculpture of a giant space snake. It actually is a giant space snake. <laughs> in the in the letter pages, uh, Tharg apologizes for typos. He posts a picture of an alien drawn by Malcolm Blackow of Barnet Hertfordshire, and it and definitely looks, looks like real. it's drawn by a kid. Yeah, yeah, that looks definitely real. That prog also ends with a sweet schematic of the Eagle landing craft from Dan Dare. I'd say my favorite part is the front-mounted scrambling net that they can deploy. We've actually seen it deployed once, be- once before, and I think it's like, whatever. we got all these futuristic things, and here's just a net to let people climb into the spaceship. I don't know. I mean, I just like that there's this giant gaudy bird symbol on it. <laughs> it's an eagle landing craft, bro. I guess that's true, so it is probably an eagle. Plus, I think the symbol is from Eagle Comics, which Dan Dare was oh, printed in for many years. Really? Okay, yeah. that would be neat. Yeah, I think... I think don't quote me, but I think that's it. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, I learned something, probably. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, maybe I learned something. So. Yeah. I'll just uh, lie. <laughs> uh, Prog 39, a future comic book author working for 3000 AD, creates <gasps> an, ult- an ultra-popular character. He gets tired of drawing it, though, and resolves to kill the character off. But before he can, his own creation comes to life. Let's the artist know he's been drawing the character wrong. They don't got pointy ears. They got no ears at all. And then kills the artist. Whoa. Yeah. In, in the letters, a kid asks if Tharg has teeth. Tharg does not. He has super hard gums. And finally, Weird. yeah, in Prague 40, a bunch of dudes get shrunk down and have a fantastic voyage-style super fight inside the veins of some scientist guy. But then the scientist, they are miniaturized inside, dies of a heart attack, and they all get buried inside his dead bloodstream. It's a bummer. Gross. Yeah. Also, apparently, there was a a London taxi that was painted with 2000 AD stuff to sort of do like a charity thing and give kids, like city kids, a ride to the ocean, which is very nice. I tried to find a color picture of this 2000 AD taxi, but apparently none are easily findable on Google image search like in color, which is a bummer. Wow. So... So this was actually like a, I mean, I guess, and this is again, knowing nothing about comic books. Mm-hmm. So this was fairly popular even back then. Sure. I mean, you know, it's enough for a major publishing house to like keep producing it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, that's true. I like, just like, it's really neat to see a crafts project like that come out and yeah. be about I, giving kids a ride to the beach. Yeah. I mean, we're going to see failed science fiction comic books in the course of this 2000 AD podcast, especially the early ones, because they're going to start folding characters into 2000 AD. Like, oh. Like, this is like, you know, like, I think the first one's going to be this one called Tornado, and then a couple Tornado characters are going to show up in 2000 AD. Like wow. That's where, uh, 
that's where Johnny Alpha, the strontium dog, comes from, as well as uh, Robusters and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be... Oh, it's going to be so good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's like a saving grace for some of the best, basically. Yeah, that, that's the theory, at least. But hey, that's speaking fair. of uh, saving graces, thrill for Dan Dare. Oh, God. So... <laughs> In their uh, in their black spacesuits, are... <laughs> which I still find ridiculous. It's good, man. No one can see him coming. Uh, <laughs> our our boys from the space fort attack the Star Slayer starbase. They're successful in beating the crap out of everybody. Oh, are they but... lizard men? They're like green guys, but they yeah, got they... the alien skin. Yeah, they could be lizardy. I'm down with that. Okay, so they, they also they also have like beards and like but like also pointy teeth like they they they, they got a lot going on. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, so before so they t- they beat everybody on the base, but before they do, the Star Slayers send out a distress signal, and now the entire Star Slayer Empire is coming after them. Um, our guys swipe the plans for the Star Slayer battle fleet and some star maps and head back to the space fortress. There starts to be some discussion among the crew, like, hey, do we want to, like, fight these Star Slayers? It's like the whole Empire, we're just one ship, maybe we should head back. And that's, like, the Navy guys and all the ground guys on Dandier's team are like, don't be a coward, you coward, we gotta keep fighting. But, like, they kind of have a point, like, I mean, they they go as far as saying, like, let's cut and run and screw all of this, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, why wouldn't you go and tell the Federation that you're supposed to be documenting all of this for like hey there's a really serious threat out here and they don't like us because we had an altercation that we couldn't avoid yeah true in theory and practice oh god there's two star players <laughs> cruisers bearing down on us we gotta fight <laughs> I, <laughs> don't apply your picardisms here nonsense also, in the world of amazing dan dare why by the way the ship battles are awesome in yeah. the next coming progs Oh, I should mention all the uh, all the Dan Dare stuffs written by Gary Finley Day and drawn by Dave Gibbons. Um, but yeah, next problem we got a crazy outer space fight. The uh, their shots with a space fortress looks extremely Star Destroyer like in these space yeah. fights. But eventually, the Star the space fortress is able to take down the Star Slayer cruisers, but the ship is badly damaged. The crew flies to a Star Slayer mining planet, being mined by slaves and very you know, low-tech things, a lot of shirtless dudes, and uh, <laughs> Star Slayers with whips being like, work harder! Kah! You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like a huge Egypt thing feel to it. Yeah. Or like uh, um, uh, Spartacus, I exactly. guess. Exactly. So the ship flies down, they uh, cover the ship in techno-tarps, <laughs> and uh, Dan... And a Dan Dare, uh, Big Bear, and Hitman put on slave disguises and head out to find materials. By the way, everything in threes in, in these last couple props. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Hitman looks real subtle with his gun welded to his hand, just kind of wrapped in a towel as they head out in their disguises. <laughs> uh, Bear saves some slaves from a cave-in in the mines, and our heroes make friends with the slaves. He was pretty awesome. Like yeah, he man. just lifted boulders off of some dudes. Some awesome boulder lifting. <laughs> they lead a midnight raid on mineral stores with Hitman shooting out the big spotlights and Dan Dare taking out one of the slavers' electro whips by throwing titanium powder at it, 
shorting it out and frying the guy alive. Oh, snap. Uh, Dare and Hitman return to the ship with materials for repairs, and Bear remains behind to manage the coming slave revolt. (laughs) On the uh, Star Slayer homeworld, Star Slay... Which really, yeah, this does get repetitive, by the way. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the evil Dark Lord prepares to fight Dan Dare, and it's like, hey, we got to stop these guys before they <laughs> encourage rebellion among all our slave races. But like, really super intense. Like this, he had the way he had said it. He's like, this is the most uh, intense enemy we have ever faced, and it's like yeah. with one ship. It seems like they've just been, you know, they haven't had any problems yet. You know, they've just been on easy mode this whole time, I guess. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Maybe it was just that simple. I guess they yeah. do have a special light that makes everybody dumb. Yeah, that's what happened next to Star Slayer. They <laughs> employ their ultimate weapon, which is some sort of brainwash light. <laughs> all the slayers, all the slaves are brought to heal as well as Big Bear. Um, they lead an assault on the st- on the spaceport, which our boys manage to fight off and take Bear back aboard the ship. But he's completely brainwashed into being a Star Slayer loyalist. Boom. Whoa, no, not Bear. It's real sad, man. He's just saying we should all surrender and give in to the glorious Star Slayer Empire, but I say no! Hell no, man. I ain't no Star Slayer. Yeah, fight on. So no top dues, I gotta say. Like, Dan Dare, I know he's got a great haircut now, but we've seen it. No new haircuts. No Fair one, enough. No one showed off their hair. His hair has got to reign supreme in this comic. <laughs> Yeah, so Bear's a, a loyalist. Dan Dare's doing stuff. It's good times. Taking out these slaves, covering ships and space tarps, killing these star slayers. Looks like we're doing a lot of star slayer stuff these days. Yeah, pretty much in the foreseeable future. I don't know. Good explosions. Good storyline progression. Dan Dare's weird now. I like it, but it's just like it's awkward. You know, he's just sort of traveling through the galaxy looking for trouble, you know? Yeah. Just like me. I'm- I'm worried about that. <laughs> That's pretty much it, though. <laughs> yeah. Drill 5, Mach 1. <laughs> Big thing this week is uh, Mach Woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's on the loose. <laughs> Better get her. Probe chases Mach Woman into a uh, subway tunnel, stopping to kick out some railway tracks so that a kid doesn't get run down by the train. This provides evidence that he's actually a good guy, and in the ensuing hyperpower fight, Mach Woman is unable to kill him and instead surrenders, defecting to the Brits. We learn her name is Tanya Maskey, and while her computer is weaker than Probe's, which is how she was able to overcome it and not kill him, she's actually more powerful than Probe, but also more likely to burn out. Dang. Uh, Sharp and the other secret agent guys send Probe and Maskey back to Eastern Europe to destroy the hyperpower factory or whatever. You know, wherever you make <laughs> hyperpower things. They go by train and are caught by train cops. Oh, snap. Yeah, the choice is now a policeman's bullet or a 200-foot drop. Good thing they're mock people. Yeah, next next prog, they take the drop. They, uh, <laughs> they jump right into the roof of some local villagers. Sorry to end them. Sorry to interrupt dinner. We're in a bit of a stew ourselves. Oh. <laughs> so bad. The, uh, the pair of them infiltrate the base hyper-powerly with super-duper pole jumps and synchronized jump kicks. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah, to enter the final vault, 
they have to use a code Tanya got from Sharp, the head of the Mach 1 program, which is unusual. Anyhow, inside they fight a hyper-powered dog and then learn the awful truth. The head of the Eastern European Mach 1 program, Dr. Horowitz, has hyper-powered up a bunch of kids! Hyper-kitties! It's real weird. Yeah. So next Prague, where it's it's the hyper kitties. They're super powerful, and their kiddo brains make them much easier to control with inferior Eastern European computers. Uh, Tanya is taken to be shot by firing squad, while John Probe is to be dissected. Probe starts throwing the kids around and makes his escape. Hey Conrad. Yeah. Remember that weird fad that was going around where you took a test about how many preschoolers could you kill? they all attacked you and were zombies i think i do this is kind of that thing where it's like just a grown adult kicking the shit out of a bunch of kids it's real good especially later when probe uh catches up with tanya and frees her from this titanium chain that was holding her in place so she could be <laughs> shot by the guards and he uses the chain to just whip the hell out of these <laughs> freaking hyper kids it's crazy it's like just really brutal it's just it's just probe swinging this chain around all these little kids who look kind of like emaciated and sad frankly just being thrown every which direction (laughs) uh tanya destroys the uh compupuncture tapes which uh, means that the eastern guys no longer know the secret of hyperpower and then she mission tank into the lab headquarters which destroys it yep this also destroys the central computer for these mock guys which uh turns the kids into zombies they stop attacking and really Tanya, hope that's not permanent who knows who cares <laughs> there's european kids i don't know um tanya dies in the process she's been burnt out by the hyperpower uh all is well that ends well but probe wants to know how sharp got the code for the vault last prog which seems very suspicious yep um, jerk. Yeah, there's a lot of tension at the end of this episode of Mach 1. Our, finally, our final Mach 1 is uh, there's some kind of space gun that's taking out satellites. <laughs> uh, probe gets picked up by an RAF helicopter and is taken to an airbase where he meets an American Air Force dude. They then get on a plane for an American airbase, but it turns out this is an unofficial mission. Yeah, not, he's like totes off the record, man. Yeah, it's not sanctioned by either the British or American governments. But they Uh, both think something's up. Yeah, Sharp doesn't appreciate this, and he sends some goons to take Probe down. They, like, tie them up in the the chairs of their plane and threaten them with a gun and stuff. Luckily... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, they do know that they've got Mach 1, right? Like, someone told them, like, hey, listen, this guy... He's really good because he's definitely a super soldier. Like, no one clearly gave him that information. Well, they say, like, hey, like, you might be a Superman, but a bullet in your belly probably won't feel that good. But I've seen bullets bounce off Mach 1, I'm just saying. Yeah, he is not going to care. Anyhow, uh, to prove that he doesn't care, Mach 1 just punches a hole in the side of the plane, <laughs> depressurizing the cabin, and the gun is the guns are all sucked out of the, uh, of the hole in the, in, in, in the side of the plane. Which, I mean, smart work, but also super dangerous. Man, probe ain't care. He just goes along. <laughs> like, yeah, fix this with hyperpower. Yeah. At the airbase, uh, probe gets in a, uh, in a small spacecraft, which, instead of the space shuttle he's been on previously and destroyed, 
Um, <laughs> he's instead on a, on a craft that is mounted under the wing of a B, like under the wing of a B fifty two, and has fired like a missile into the stratosphere. Pretty cool. Yeah, we end with probe in space in this little ship, staring down the barrel of the space gun. Oh no! <gasps> um, yeah. Solid, solid Mach one outing this month, if you ask me. Yeah, I was uh, I was not at all disappointed with anything that happened. As usual, get close to Mach one, uh, and something's gonna kill you. But I just but, like yeah. Oh, but I just wait. like that he's fighting uh, hyperpowered stuff. This oh this, yeah, this frog. It's all he fights Mach. He fights Mach woman. He fights a mm. hyper dog. Mm-hmm. He fights these hyper kids, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but like, it's all these things that are like giving him a super huge run for his money they're all other fellow super powered things that make Mach one have to figure out how he's going to handle like these challenges and stuff which i think is really is really boss yeah and it, i i remember you and i like talking about it um not too long ago when we were looking at Mach one like man he really needs something to fight instead of just like really mundane things like he it's sort of the the perspective of someone who was forced to be Superman, and they're like, ah, this sucks, because like, yeah. I just beat up things that are lesser than me for the government. Yeah, and uh, I think now that's that starting to pan out. Yeah, they're starting to bring uh, Sharpen as a real villain, or someone who's not to be trusted and stuff, which I also think is good. They've also sort a 30-figure thing, right? Like, Yeah, they've been hinting at it from the start, but I'm, I'm <clears> glad they're finally doing it. Yeah, it took them, it took them a weirdly long time to kind of do this. I will mention that I miss aliens. I wanted, mm. I liked it when it was space stuff and getting a little weird. Well, we're about to have more space stuff soon, so be ready for that. Awesome. Hey, speaking of things getting weird. Thrill <laughs> <laughs> six future shocks. Oh yeah. All right. Only two future shocks this month. Um, yep. One's over two issues. Mm-hmm. First up, uh, there's one by Robert Flynn drawn by Ewans and McCarthy and lettered by John Aldrich. So uh, Daryl and Zach are the best robot repairmen in the biz, but then some science dude shows off a new self-repairing robot, which is bad for business. Mm-hmm. The uh, guys break into the scientist lab, shoot the scientist in the back of the head, but then the self-repairing robot attacks them. What a jerk. Ah, oh, snap. They shoot this guy in the back of the head real casually. It's crazy. <laughs> Uh, next Prague, Zack and Daryl push the self-repairing robot into a vat of molten metal and destroying it and make their escape. And then we learn the awful truth. They're self-repairing robots and they're the only ones out here and they need to keep it this way. Dun, oh, dun, dun. Great hair, by the way. These guys are flawless. Oh, and forgot to mention for Mach 1, it was definitely uh, the she Mach 1. Yeah, Tanya's got pretty solid... Um, like sort of short Eastern European hair. I, I like it a lot. The uh, the second future shock, a bunch of space miners are out space mining. They talk shop about the mining of space. They blow up an asteroid. Oh no, it was an egg with a huge space pterodactyl inside. Wow. What a twist. Oh my God. And that's the future shocks. And that's it for thrills. Fox, what are oh. your top and bottom thrills for this month? So, November 1977. Uh, I think it's easier to go bottom for me. Um, okay. I'm just going to go with Future Shocks. Yeah, I mean, they were sort of underwhelming, for sure, I'd say. 
I, I liked the stories. See, so that's the thing is like I didn't I didn't it's not like I, I disliked them and actually um, I like how Cornball the second one was and I liked the two parter well enough just because it was kind of like this more more interesting twist. I didn't see them being robots at the end of yeah. this. You know, um, which is sort of like a no brainer, I guess, but um I don't know. I, I think I know. that that was actually pretty good. I didn't. Yeah, I thought it was. A, I it was a fairly solid twist. I thought it worked out pretty good. So even though it sounds like praise, it's bottom only by comparison that it was the least good of the good pile. <laughs> right? So what's your what's the good pile? What's your top thrill for this month? So I was edging towards uh, invasion um, a lot. Because uh, you know, I I really liked a lot of the action that was in it very clearly. Not to mention the new prince character is a really really good add. Um, but you did like sort of point out like, are these the best murders? Like, did it join this pantheon of like weird stuff that Savage does? That's like this, this is going to be memorable. And I do think the spider troops are kind of that, but there wasn't enough death and explosions to really go around with it. You know what I mean? Mm, okay. But and and dude, this is me again. We're gonna be splitting hairs. No, that's fine. I'm I'm ready. So okay, so it's not invasion. What else you got? Inferno. All right. Yeah, man. I'm I'm actually really actively enjoying it. It's the Harlem Heroes in their full element. Um, I really just dig um, this new th- confusing sport that I really would like to yeah. understand. And it's definitely got its flaws. Each one did. Um, but this this stuff's really good. Um, I like the teamsmanship. I like that it's back to like um, kind of like the dirty side of sports. Like, oh, you know, even though they're these good guys, sports is pretty rough and tumble in the world of mega cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus, like the art when they were when everybody was going crazy with salt with a hallucinogenic salt gum was pretty, <laughs> was pretty boss. Yeah, man. And I, and I should say, special mention to Judge Shred. Like like we said when we passed it up, I really think it's solid. I like it a lot. Yeah. And Dan Dare, you're doing good, kid. Just stick to it. Mm-hmm. So. Awesome. Yeah. How about you, man? What's your top and bottom? Okay. I'm going to say... I never actually plan ahead, which is rough. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say I'm gonna say my top thrill was Mach 1 this week. I oh, thought yeah. they really turned, thing around, turned things around. I loved just the ridiculousness of the mock of the mock woman story. Like there's just that picture of John Probe swinging that chain around and all those kids going flying. That's <laughs> it is amazing. That's one that we've really, got to put up. Really, just my top thing. You know, like that's like I'm I'm in favor of this. I don't know. Um, I mean, it seems brutal, but I'm going to tell you, it, it's more awesome than anything else. Man, they're hyperpowered. Those kids can take it. Whatever. Yeah, they don't feel it. I mean, probe probe objects, and his computer yells at him to do it. So he's sorry, his hands are clean. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Just blame the computer. Yeah. Um, bottom thrill. I'm gonna punt this. I don't. I don't have a bottom thrill this month. Man, and that's it's my it's my podcast, and I can make up the rules as I go. <laughs> <laughs> but like. Okay. Everything was super solid, Dredd. Like, everything, you know, Mach 1 was really good. Inferno was really good, if the reasons we've said. Judge Dredd was really solid. Um, in, in Invasion remains excellent and is really, like, hitting its highest gear right now. And even Future Shocks, which I'm always down on this time, were, like, the, um, 
the robot one was kind of like, oh, okay, this is kind of an interesting, like, weird take on things. It was just so, it was so jolly in its murder mm-hmm. and destruction that I appreciated it. And even, like, the, oh, what a twist, where it turns out to be um, a pterodactyl inside the rock was just, like, they spend so much time talking about different kinds of space mining and, like... <laughs> Like, oh, we used drills back in my day. Well, you know, this mining laser is way more efficient and stuff. It had all this crazy, like, really weirdly in-depth stuff, made-up stuff about space mining that made me feel like, all right, like, I I can't be down on this because it's such a ridiculous series of events. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I, I will say it is creative, right? Like... To say the very least of it, it is creative. A, a giant pterodactyl emerges from a, an egg. Yeah. And so then, like, when it turns out to be a space pterodactyl, it's just like, <laughs> what? Come on. <laughs> but I, in a good way is what I want to say. So yeah. I'm going to say, so, like, we're going to have bottom, you know, again, like I said in previous episodes, like, just like how there's no reason to stress about not giving Judge Dredd top throw because we don't have tons of Judge Dredd. There's also no reason to say, like, oh, this was bad when yeah. things aren't that bad because things are going to get bad i'm not going to lie to you folks <laughs> i mean <laughs> great but, so we're gonna have to do a reverse okay i mean i don't think there i don't i don't think there's going to be a month where there's no top thrill but <laughs> i think like there's no reason to be down on things when things aren't like actually bad you know these are fun comics yeah. 2008 you know we're in like you know, we're in month, like, nine of 2000 AD. Everything's sort of... They sort of found their groove, and things are going pretty... Seems like they're going pretty good. We're 40 issues in, and I feel really good about that. And the comics is just real good, and they just kind of got to keep it going, you know, mm. for 1970 more. And then, <laughs> then we're done, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then, <laughs> then we'll almost be caught up. Exactly. Um, the I I will say it's uh, it was this is a great month to read um, just kind of regardless so if you're just looking for a clean stab to see something just kind of neat and some really great art yeah I mean I'm bummed to you know I'm really missing like Shaco and it's ridiculous yeah. and it's ri- ridiculous murderousness you know yeah but like these others all this other stuff is fine and Inferno is really neat actually I'm I'm digging Inferno a lot um, mm-hmm. and just trying to on the like, on the one hand, not knowing the rules is very frustrating, but on the other hand, trying to piece the rules together is very fun. You know. Yeah, yeah. There, there's sort of a. Um, I don't think catharsis is the right word for that. It's, it, you know, it's there's a pleasure in the pain, sort of. Yeah, thing. it's a mystery. You know, you, yeah. you got to solve it yourself. Yeah. Well, that seems exactly. about it, man. Yeah. Anyhow, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail dot com. Or on our fancy new Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at Space Spinner 2K. And for everything else, just look up Space Spinner 2000 and we should be there. Tune in next week as the Mega City 5000 rolls on. Savage and the Prince go hunting for Volgons. Awesome. Dan Dare finds new allies against the Star Slayers. It's uh, Bugmen, FYI. Oh, gross. <laughs> Hey, Mach bugs. 1 does some sweet zero-G hand-to-hand fighting, and the heroes have their day in court. Okay. All, yeah, all this and the premiere of a new thrill, Bonjo from Beyond the Stars. You won't believe how problematic a half-page comic can be. And all that's just Prog 41. Wow. Yeah, additionally, uh, next month, Judge Dredd goes to the moon, Colonel <laughs> Rosa returns to Invasion, and Mach Zero throws his weight around. 
all next week. Until next time, I'm Conrad East Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Spun Doug Berthrig. <laughs> <laughs>